Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons, jam-packed with news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Today's top story, judge releases trove of sealed records related to case against Ghislaine Maxwell. Come on, Binkley, you've been following this since the absolute beginning. What do you think? A trove of unsealed records. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of stuff in there to distract. The way that these things usually happen is they release enough information to make it seem as though it's a Trump scandal and not a Clinton scandal. And then they conceal all the information that's very damning even though it's not really concealed. Here's what you need to know about those released documents. I haven't looked through them. I've scanned them. There probably is good information about it, but there's something that never gets brought up when these stories get brought up that, in my opinion, is the most important thing to remember about this case. And that is that there was a plea negotiation letter. And this plea negotiation letter, this was the basis of why Epstein got that sweetheart deal that he got. It reads like a veiled threat to the local prosecutor, the guy who, Acosta, who's now in Trump's administration, was a local prosecutor. But this document, again, is the basis. It's why he got the deal that he got, and it has, it pitches his case. Here's why his philanthropy, all the things he does for the community, this, he's such a good person, he helps everybody, this is why he should get be given the deal. He was facing potentially life in prison. People should remember that. And they listed, here's all the people who can vouch for him, and here's all the organizations he's a member of, and this is why you should let him get off. Those names that are mentioned in there, in my opinion, would seemingly have a stake in him getting a deal, and part of that deal being that the co-conspirators' names are covered up. You don't know who they are. I would look to these names if I want to find out who those are. I don't know if it's them, but definitely I would start there. The names are the Rockefeller Foundation vouching for Jeffrey Epstein in this plea negotiation letter, the Trilateral Commission vouching for Jeffrey Epstein in this plea negotiation letter, the CFR vouching for Epstein because he was a board member at one point. Bill Clinton, he brags about Bill Clinton and his friendship with Bill Clinton in the plea negotiation letter. Now, Bill Clinton's never been asked about that as far as I can know, but if somebody gets a deal from potentially life in prison to that sweetheart deal that he got, and your name is the one that's used inside the letter to influence this decision, I would say that you should get some questions about that to take it even further. It says in there, here, you know, this is why you should Epstein off. He was one of the people who was in the group that conceived of the Clinton Global Initiative. So he helped create the Clinton Global Initiative. Those are all the names that are in there. Those won't be talked about right now. And they also are trying to make it a Trump thing. The lawyer of the victims who worked with the victims for 15 years said himself that the only person that he depositioned that actually helped them was Trump, that Trump told them everything he knew, and Trump actually helped move the investigation forward. And a little thing about Ghislaine Maxwell that most people don't know is that the lawyer for the victims had submitted he wanted to get her for a deposition. Everybody was avoiding depositions. They're leaving the country. They're making up excuses just to get out of them. Well, Ghislaine Maxwell responded to the request to be deposed by saying that she was going back over to the UK and that she was never coming back to America. Never coming back to America. This is back in like 2005 or maybe a couple years later. And then two months later, she's photographed in New York City at Chelsea Clinton's wedding. 
So those are the things you probably won't find in those documents that are true that people should remember when they're reading through those documents. And I think we should just every time you look at a new article about Ghislaine Maxwell, see if you can find a verifiable picture that was taken since her alleged arrest or even since last year. Yeah, you know what I noticed? I noticed I started switching out the pictures they're using of her and using photos that make her a bit look a bit older, but they're still old pictures. Byron said the same thing. Yeah. He said every picture, it's just this rotation. So people who are listening have been watching that and noticing. But I noticed it immediately when that thing about her reading a book at the In-N-Out Burger was revealed to be two years old. I said, oh, they put a story out there because they want it to seem like there's fresh news. And if that picture is two years old, and then I started thinking, I haven't seen a picture of her in a long time. So I don't know where she is or what, but I, I'd be very surprised if you ever have, if she's even alive. Yeah. One of the interesting things I did pull out of that, those documents that I saw was an email exchange between Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell, where she's talking about being under pressure in court legally. And Epstein replies with something like, well, you ha- you've done nothing wrong. You just need to start acting like you've done nothing wrong. Head held high. Go out in public. Basically, you fake it till you make it. You believe it yourself. Maybe they'll believe it when you tell them that. Oh, yeah. They had they had they trained these girls to to pump these guys for information. Mm hmm. More ways and than one. And then they debriefed them. So it's they, all, they debrief- I mean. <laughs> they pumped them for father, information and debriefed them? Yes. And uh, her father was a journalist, supposedly media mogul, but six Mossad uh, agency heads attended his funeral, supposedly. And he died kind of mysteriously. Oh, yeah. They're, it's a very spy-y kind of thing. And that involves cover stories and training so it all fits in with that even his the mysterious i mean the the talented mr epstein was that it's an article back in 1997 i believe yeah that explained the very mysterious origins of his of his um fortune everything but we've covered all this there's lots and lots four years ago in our archives and then today or this year last year the miami herald reports everything that we reported four years ago, except they don't report the most important things so they can skew the story to seem like it's something else. So there are lots of a couple of major dialectics in the in the news today, really important stories in and of themselves. But with where I can see it coming from left and right to get the exact same answer. So that's the thesis, the antithesis and the synthesis. Maybe I don't use it the way Hegel used it, but I don't really know. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. So <laughs> one that we've been talking about a lot lately, of course, everybody has the, the feds going into Portland to protect federal property. But that that story got confused with the fact that the feds were going to other cities to fight crime, specifically gun crime, which I, but which is completely against the constitution, totally against the 10th amendment. Operation legend. Yes. um, There was one thing I wanted to kind of correct, which is that I said, yesterday. I just threw out there that it was a violation of posse comitatus to go in and have these, agents arresting people to put police on their uniforms. I knew when I said it that it was not strictly right. Nobody's 
push back on me, but I just want to say the Posse Comitatus is very specific about not using the military and actually even more specific than that, the Army and the Air Force and the related services to enforce laws, except for some exceptions like nuclear weapons and a few other things, and armed insurrection too. Posse Comitatus came about in 1878. In 1870, I believe the Department of Justice was formed so as a response in the after the Civil War so that they could go enforce federal laws in the states. You couldn't have state nullification. But my argument is that those, the Constitution didn't really anticipate a federal police force at all. So none of this should be happening. And it doesn't matter what these acts are. It's against the 10th Amendment to have this happen. So in people arguing for law and order in Portland, supposedly, they don't realize they're also arguing for this other thing. And let me just, if you don't mind, uh, just tell you the two, the thesis and the antithesis that gets us to the synthesis that I heard today on the news. So I heard someone saying, and it really bothers me when people say this, somebody panned on the table for the rule of law. Like we, these, these localities are abandoning the rule of law. And what she means is law and order and cracking heads and everything. The rule of law refers to the fact that there is a rule of law, not a rule of rulers. So you can't just have a dictator say what's going on and be above the law. Rule of law means it's black and white law and applies to everyone. It doesn't mean there's a lot of police on the street preventing crime. That is not what the rule of law is, but that's where the right is coming out. And it's, it's blanketing the protests in Portland with going in with this project legend or legend in the localities. I have a little something about that too. But the alternative, which I heard up the wazoo today, as my father used to say, is a, a lot of inner city black leaders and citizens complaining about the tremendous spikes in crime and gun crime recently and how we have to do something about it. So they, and I've noticed this, that the Democrats are like, it's okay for feds to be in the cities as long as they're taking away guns, as long as they're addressing gun crime. So the left is actually for the feds in these little, in these cities. And the right is for the feds in the cities for different reasons. One for gun control, one for cracking heads. And it comes together in this project legend spelled L E capital G E N D. But do you know when this kid, it was a four year old who was killed by whatever stray gunfire. Do you know when that happened? It was recently, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like a month ago. But this, but what they're calling Project Legend, whatever, and this is to get those Democrats on board by saying it's gun problem, it's racial, like it's to protect black people in inner cities. That's what that's what they're that's what Barr is pushing with this with this handle. But even in today's or yesterday's announcement about expanding this program, he refers to the fact that this is just augmenting what you said yesterday was started in December 2019. So this was fully ready to roll out. And I would say that dovetailed with Project Guardian, which was about mental health laws and being really strict about putting people on. If, if you raise the flag on somebody, then they get to investigate you. And it's all this bull that I talked about at length prior to this. But. That's the dialectic that's coming out. And that is why this whole thing, and I do want to give a hat tip to uh, Tyler, the destroyer for bringing that out. But that's the whole thing of what I was saying. You can't give in on the Portland thing because all it is is a stepping stone to federalizing the police or pushing federal police down into the cities.
What's up, guys? I talk about Neighbors Feed and Seed a lot, and not just because they offer everything you need to live a more sustainable lifestyle, but also because of the way that they conduct business. They give you the kind of personalized attention you don't get anywhere else. In fact, Bill from Neighbors is making propaganda report listeners a priority. He's given his private number to anyone who calls or emails the store so that he can personally make sure you get what you need. You're going to want to take them up on that offer. So go to NeighborsFeedAndSeed.com. You can find their info on the contact page. And if you're in the Smyrna area, be sure and check out Neighbors All-New Farmer's Market on Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Okay, the NBA started back last night inside the bubble, the grand bubble experiment, they're calling it, or at least I'm calling it. And it was the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Clippers and the Utah Jazz versus the New Orleans Pelicans. The initial question that's going to come to mind for people is, did they even sing the national anthem? There was talk that maybe they wouldn't sing it. Maybe they would replace it with something. The answer is yes, they did. And the reason why they did is because you cannot have a protest demonstration that models the behavior of what you're supposed to do when you hear the national anthem unless you have the national anthem. So they needed the national anthem because protest needs conflict. And that was the point of conflict. And they got a, what was the name of the group they got to sing it? It was the Compton Kids, a transformational youth group that pre-recorded the anthem. It was an interesting rendition, to say the least. It was like Christina Aguilera times 15 or so. I mean, they were really working every single word to the point of when the camera panned by one of the basketball players, he was looking at the screen like, what's going on? Can I tell you something weird? So my son who has Down syndrome, he's like a litmus test for propaganda because he just doesn't understand the subtlety, so he just parrots it. And he said to me yesterday, for some reason, I can't get this song out of my head. And it was the national anthem. He started singing it. Interesting. And I'm like, why is he? So he watches YouTube. I make sure I hear it. He's not on headphones, but it's basically unregulated. And so I don't know what I didn't hear it, but I thought that was interesting there. There putting it in his consciousness, which is a pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty yeah. uh, concrete nuts and bolts kind of consciousness. So yeah. it's a good. Well, this is targeting. One of the main course. targets is kids for this too. The yeah, athletes they admire. Rap and hip hop and yeah. stuff. So if it were that kind of a band, he's probably hearing it from that. So the next question, if there was a national anthem, did they take a knee? And an overwhelming yes, they took a knee. Here's a a summation of it. The game's introduction was a collective expression of protest and unity with players wearing black T-shirts with Black Lives Matter etched in white across their chest. Arms interlocked along the entire length of the sideline. Players and staff from both teams knelt on the court during the national anthem. Every single player was wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt over their jersey, and they all took a knee and they all interlocked arms with each other. Another way to look at it is no one stood for the national anthem. I'd be willing to bet that they would get fined if they did. We might not see one person stand for the national anthem for the entirety of this inside the bubble season. Maybe there will be a couple just to bring in that conflict element. But a clear statement was made last night. Don't stand for the national anthem. I'm curious, if someone were to stand, are we going to see the reverse Colin Kaepernick effect? Are they going to become a social justice icon? Or are they going to get smeared? Are they going to get kicked off their team? By the way, Kaepernick, didn't get, he's not on team because he didn't play and he's a trouble in the locker room. It has nothing to do with that other stuff. But what about the reverse of it? Because now it is taboo to stand for the national anthem, which we anticipated this and it's happening. Hmm. 
Well, um, there's something trending that says NHL fans are posting photos of themselves kneeling after players remained standing during national anthems. But hockey, I mean, well, I guess they can kneel on ice skates, but it just feels Is like... hockey going on in the United States right now? Yeah, it's weird. I thought you would know. I thought you would have the answer. Some fans have been critical of their response during... Oh, it's an exhibition game in Toronto and Edmonton, which is Canada. Yeah, so, I don't follow hockey. You know as much. what I mean? Yeah. It's cat. It's in Canada. Like that's the funny thing that this. I is know it's in Canada. So what's the? But it's just. I mean, anyway, whatever. And here's so a, I. Yeah. A few other things from there that are pretty interesting. This is from one of the players. They were talking about how this season is different. It's not even about basketball, really. And this player said. The stick to the sports crowd, keep politics out of sports, all those things, they're meaningless now. Politics and sports, they coexist, and the league has recognized that. This is from J.J. Reddick, whose typical off-the-court activity involves getting women he dates to sign a contract that requires them to get an abortion if she gets pregnant. So that's who we're getting our messages about politics and basketball being merged. We had the social justice slogans on there, and this I thought was interesting. A couple players didn't put a slogan on their jersey, LeBron James and Jimmy Butler being one of them. The reason LeBron didn't is because he didn't want to have to choose one of those slogans. He wanted to come up with his own. And Jimmy Butler wanted to wear nothing on his jersey to kind of de-celebritize himself. And everybody's equal. Of course, they wouldn't let them do that because these are Marxist-crafted slogans that are designed to evoke specific emotions. So they're not just going to let anybody come up with their own thing. It's very tightly controlled what is going on. And this, this is crazy right here. Inside the bubble, the players... They have access to social justice programming while inside the Disney Resort. They have speakers. They go on Zoom and listen to speeches from leaders in this movement. They Books have been placed inside the hotel rooms of every player with social justice themes. And a television channel has been customized with social justice. Pro- this sounds like a re-education camp. Yes. Yes, it does. It sounds like one of those ones that is happening in China right now. It really does. You know, like if you're a Uyghur and you said something about religion at school or whatever, you have to go live in these apartments and sing songs and learn how to think correctly is how they say it. That is what this sounds like to me, too, except the players are willingly there because it's an exchange to get to play basketball. Yeah, of course. People do stuff. It's the it's for money. I mean, I'm not saying that they're being whores. Not that there's anything wrong with being a whore, but that there, I don't think so. So, um, that they are doing it because that's how you, that's how you eat. There's a payment for, it's the mark of the beast is what it is. It's like, you have to do in order to engage. That's what it was in apocalypse. I have to reread it, but they have to have the engage to engage in the marketplace. You have to do the bidding of the devil or write the mark of the beast. Anyway. There was um, anything else on that? No, that wraps it up there for night one of the NBA for inside now. the bubble. The uh, I just I wanted to hit one other dialectic without milking it. I just had this thing about big tech having we're they're headed to regulating it, and regulating it will not only allow them to regulate speech. That would not be that kind of regulation would not be allowed by the government, the First Amendment, the public square. They're definitely going to do that. And by regulating it, you make sure that whoever is in big tech, whoever do does run those platforms is not vulnerable to independent competition because it's too freaking expensive and is completely plugged into 
the government and the rules that come down from the powers that be behind the scenes. But the way the dialectic is unfolding there, I heard today uh, a whoever it was, some Republican politician saying their their anti-conservative bias is designed. Google came out. This was a James O'Keefe thing. Well, that hidden audio that they actually intended to mess with the election. So if they don't get their stuff together, we're going to have to take control. So they're giving us the fairness doctrine from the right. They're talking about regulating free speech, talking about regulating political speech from the right and on the left. I had that Google exec from yesterday saying it's a national security issue that uh, there is, you know, it's Russia or it's a cyber attack and a very left hot button issues that it's that it's antitrust, which is a very left thing, even though this solution would make it even more of a monopoly. But then today when they came out. And they said that they caught that nasty little 17-year-old in Florida who was responsible for the big Twitter hack against Obama and Bill Gates and used Bitcoin. So it was all very school shootery with um, – and the Bitcoin thing, which is your kind of uh, alt, you know, deep webs kind of thing that has that kind of right feel to it. And they're all, I, I think, going to come together for – Arguing for the regulation from both sides. Classic dialect. So they caught the kid. It looks like they caught the kid. And the picture of him, it was so, it was a mugshot. His name was Graham Ivan Clark. You notice that anytime there's a school shooter, he always has a middle effing name that's, you know, they've completely right, you know, I don't know. So Graham Ivan Clark is the guy, and his picture is all very. That's a pretentious sullen. name. Hmm? That's a pretentious name. A big welcome to our latest sponsor, an avid member of the Propaganda Report community, True Hemp Science, experts in CBD with a huge variety of premium CBD from different farms and with different cannabinoid profiles all in one place. Go to truehempscience.com slash prop report for your special offer. Okay, so one thing I wanted to say is a follow on of this is quick, uh, the mass thing. So I was thinking about it. We can't go to mass out here anymore again. And the way, so for Catholics, it's a mortal sin not to go to mass. So you don't go to mass, you go to hell, right? And then also the way the Catholic church says, if you're not Catholic, you can't go to heaven either. And it's, it's, and we've known, like my mom. They're exclusive. Yeah. So my mom knows a lot of really good people. And so do I. She's like, I just can't understand it. And I said, look, I think the idea is this. It's that. This is the true path to God. Like, I'm just saying what the rationale is behind the rule. The only way to really commune with God is through the sacraments and through the practice of getting to know him. Like, this is an old yoga sutra thing from thousands of years ago that religion and goodness is not intellectual. You can't learn it. You can't just slip a switch. It has to be a practice all the time, which is what my mother does every day anyway. And I said, so in order to keep people doing that, you kind of have to show up. You have to do that practice. So it's not like you're damned to hell if you don't go to mass. It's that you can't possibly develop that relationship with God unless you have the communion of the sacraments and actually showing up. So when the Pope says you have a dispensation from going to mass, it's not like, oh, great, I don't go to hell now. It's like, but the real reason was, as I always thought it, was that you cannot be close to God without being close to God. So his giving system sensation is literally distancing from God. And for what reason? For earthly life, which shouldn't be his concern at all. This is all about the afterlife. So you should be happy to die 
if you're in the state of grace, you don't want to, you don't want to have distance from God just so you can maintain your earthly life. That's just not like a Catholic thing. And I'm not the Holy Roller. I'm not preaching it to you. I'm just trying to explain it to you. And then, so I've been scratching my head. I'm like, this is crazy. Like it's, it is a really essentially wrong thing that they're doing. Like this is really effed up. And I've never, ever heard anything like that. And this would be an entity that has the authority and the resources to really fight this. Like if anyone on earth were to fight all the governments that are working in lockstep, it would be the Catholic church. And my sister, the hidden friend said, did you hear that they have gotten something somewhere between, we're not sure, between one and four billion dollars in corona funds, which generally speaking, the government doesn't just hand out money to faith organizations the way they do to businesses for bailouts and everything. But they made an exception this time. And the church, I think, is maybe the largest recipient of coronavirus, at least like payroll protection funds and all that. And these are places that wouldn't be having any financial struggle, of course, because the church, I think, is true. It's so rich. But that they had all those sexual abuse lawsuits. So that thing, which I found to be absolutely disgusting, didn't go to the heart of what the church is there for as far as its own kind of mandate, which is the sacraments and everything. But then they are selling out the real thing. They're selling out the people's connection, ability to save themselves for the sexual abuse thing at the hands of the government. I mean, I have never been so appalled at the church in my life. Sorry, I thought that was going to be quick, but somehow it didn't. Two simultaneous stories related to that underlying ugly belly of what's going on, the pedophile stuff. Jeffrey Epstein, then we have the Catholic Church, both of them, lots of financial funds connected. The church, I think, was mostly adult male priests with teen. You know, it's a little, I think they made this point with the Epstein thing too, like pedophilia versus like underage, pre- one is pre-sexual maturity. Right, and before one puberty. So one is exploitive, very exploitive, and also potentially abusive. And the other is um, a different a different level yeah. of abuse, I think. And I'm not defending the church. I'm just saying that the rates of that kind of thing, that kind of like, you know, um, that kind of abuse and exploitation is much, much higher than raping little kids. Yeah, yeah. They. The one of the accusations in the Epstein case is that he had two twelve-year-olds that he brought into. I don't know if that one has yeah, been proven. Yeah, now or that not. see that you you know that's like a that's a line crosser. You know what I yeah. mean? That's more of a line crosser than it's fucking horrible. But that is like you can't even try to you can't talk that kid into it. That's. You know, any, it's just too hard right. to think of. Speaking- I, you know what? I shouldn't even draw a distinction like that because it's awful, but maybe you do. I don't know. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to take a stand. I'm interested if people want to respond to that. Does it matter? There's a difference in pre-puberty and post-puberty. Yeah, no, I'm saying both people very want to respond to me and tell me what they think. Like, yeah. I'm open to it. I'm not like throwing down the, this is what I think. I just, yeah. noodling. Interesting you bring up the Vatican I only know this story in headline, only I haven't dove into it yet. 
Chinese hacked the Vatican. There's a story that broke yesterday about that. No telling, but China is involved in just about every story in some way or another lately, which brings me to something that I've been I've been on a lot lately, and that is the UFOs. We've been talking about the UFO information that's been released by the Pentagon. And then prior to that, we were talking about the drones over Colorado, the mysterious drones. These stories kind of appear to be converging together which I think they might ultimately end up fully converging before this is all said and done. But there's something going on. And last night, the Pentagon's Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force to release new report on UFO encounters. Florida Senator Marco Rubio, he's also the acting chair of the Senate Committee on Intelligence, he said in an interview that there are mysterious craft of unknown origin flying over U.S. military installations, and that requires action, a genuine investigation that needs to come. He then went on to say that if it's someone from outside this planet, that might be better than if it's the fact that there's been technological leaps made by China and Russia or some other adversary that allows them to conduct this sort of activity. So he's hoping it's off world because if China or Russia is doing this, then that's scary. Kind of seemed to be the point he was making. Okay. Has anybody seen Independence Day or... They used a clip from Independence Day to intro that segment. It would be much effing worse. Yeah, if if it's otherworldly. From another planet that had the capability of coming here and didn't just show up with hands outstretched. If they're doing secret shit in our atmosphere and they have the ability to get here from another planet... We are finished. If China and Russia are truly more terrifying than that, then maybe we just don't know how almighty and terrifying China well, and Russia are. then we're finished anyway. Yeah. yeah. To that point, another story yesterday, and this was from the War Zone. I play some clips from their podcast from time to time. The story, the night a mysterious drone swarm descended on... Palo Verde nuclear power plant. The mysterious case of mass drone incursions over America's most powerful nuclear power plant that only resulted in more questions and no changes. There's so many wrinkles in this story. I'm not going to go through all of it, but I'm going to give you the gist. While the news has been filled with claims that strange unidentified craft with unexplainable capabilities are appearing over highly sensitive U.S. installations and assets of late, a much less glamorous, more numerous, and far more pressing threat continues to metastasize in alarming ways. A metastasize? Metastasize, yes. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I read that wrong. Less than a year ago, this is in December of 2019, a bizarre and largely undisclosed incident involving a swarm of Wait, drones. Sorry. What are you reading? This is from the war zone. They did an investigation an into the drone attacks. Yeah. I'm giving you a couple paragraphs of this that give okay. you the context. So the of war what's going zone on. is an, a news outlet. This is a news outlet that has Got a it. lot of military people that come okay. on their podcast and write articles for them. They're military investigations. Less than a year ago, a bizarre and largely undisclosed incident involving a swarm of drones occurred on successive September evenings in 2019. The location? America's most powerful nuclear plant, the Palo Verde Nuclear Generation Station, situated roughly two dozen miles west of Phoenix. Okay, so in the documents that they they went through that revealed all of this, the event 
or the officials from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. They described it as Dronapalooza, and they highlighted the concerns of future adversarial attacks using these small unmanned crafts, and they need defenses against them. The article goes on to talk about all these. It reveals these documents from inside the Pentagon, inside other official military organizations, about how we're not prepared for this, that there are these drones flying all around the country that are circling two and 300 miles above our military nuclear establishments. And it sounds like they're collecting data. They have white and red flashing lights and they're shining spotlights down onto the military installations. And they the lights will turn off when they enter so they can't be seen as well. So it's very conscious organization going on with the drones and they're circling around it. And we've been unable to track these drones down, according to this article, which is based on released documents by the Pentagon. And we've been unable to figure out who is behind it. And the generals they interview in this article talk about how this this is a threat that we need to take seriously because even a consumer drone bought from the store can be altered in a way to where it can become a weapon that is deadly to even our military installations. And yet we have these flying up above us that we can't even track down or figure out who is behind them. And they, on repeated back-to-back nights, are going to the same nuclear plants and hovering over them for hours and then showing up again the next day and then showing up across the country at other nuclear plants. Now, there's been talk in the past of UFOs appearing at nuclear plants prior to some incident or something. People think the UFOs were trying to stop some sort of nuclear incident. I don't know if that's going to be some sort of similar story that's going on here, but one of the generals who they spoke with said that right now we're on the wrong side of this drone equation because other countries have focused a lot more on developing and using these smaller drone technologies. And we haven't thought about the defense that we're going to put up to it. And it makes us very vulnerable. And then at one point, the article says, with all of this in mind, speaking of all the drone activity and our lack of knowledge about who's behind it and how to stop it, it isn't a matter of if Similar events, they gave a bunch of events of drone attacks that were used in assassinations and to attack oil fields in Saudi Arabia and other places. They said that similar events, it's not a question of will they occur in the homeland, it's a matter of when and what scope. As it sits now, all the warning signs are there, especially in terms of where mysterious swarms of drones are popping up without explanation. And it's like a 30-page article that d- goes so, through. But what's the point? The point is the that... The point is that somebody has drones that are targeting our nuclear... They appear to be gathering data and surveilling them. We can't figure out who it is. We can't even catch the freaking drones. And we are basically completely vulnerable to attack from them. We have no preparation to stop them because of the guerrilla warfare type of atmosphere and how easy it is to get a drone. Is this related... This is related to the Colorado drones, yeah. yes or no? Yes. And is it also they say it is, yes. And is it also that thing that went so fast that they couldn't yes. conceive of it? They think That's how it's converging. Related. Yeah. Is the Colorado one was like, is it UFO? Is it drone? This one is, is saying that the Colorado one is drones that are doing similar activities as these other drones from Got December. It. Yeah. Got it. The takeaway from my perspective is I, I think that we're leading into some sort of futuristic warfare. I think the next war is going to be un- it's going to be a hybrid warfare unlike any that we've seen and these UFO, these drones, I think this is being foreshadowed and China and Russia's name keep getting thrown in. I don't know if it's going to be them. Something's coming. I don't know what it is. 
that's my that's my thing. I believe it. it. Yeah, I believe it because that stuff is has been popping up and things aren't put there for no reason at all. Yeah, I've got uh, I could respond to that, but I think we're out of time. Maybe I'll get to it on Monday about Amazon is putting up satellites oh, so they, yeah. they can give internet all around the world. Amazon internet, great, obviously. Oh, I know what I want to say about it. I got, I got a second. They, and of course, Amazon is going to come out with all the drones that go to your house and bring you stuff. Yesterday, I was talking about how they take, they can take that, like they don't, they need the useless eaters after all. Like they're not just going to kill all the useless eaters. They need the middle to pay the taxes and to do the work and the lower to absorb it, make an excuse for it. And then the top can pull off the money. It, it, it makes me think that's what Wally, that Wally was about. So did you see Wally? Yeah, the movie? It was, it was so dumb. Yeah, because there's like a big spaceship and it had all these useless eaters I in it. Hated Wally. And, and a corporation. And yeah. I thought, what do you need the use? It's like inherently makes no sense. But if there were people who had to be the slaves, who had to actually make the machines work. So you have like megacorp guy who's super rich, but of, of the people who had to make it happen, why do they make it happen? Because they see all these fat people and they have to feed them. And so that's how you get them to be enslaved. That it's that middle, upper middle, like professional technical class that they, that, that wouldn't just slave for the upper without thinking they had to feed the lower. I just never understood Wally before. And, uh, I just, I'm piecing this stuff together and I think, Amazon is is that consumer entity. It's the feeder, and yeah. who knows? Yeah, you know, and it's just I don't know. They're putting up satellites. I, who knows how this stuff is all going? There's going to be jillions of those little their drones running around. My little Amazon wallies. Yeah, maybe they're going to bring down a couple of jets over the years, and and they're going to blame it on the, these messed up. You know, the drones are everywhere. It's not Amazon. It was one of these crazy Chinese drones. Yeah. Interesting. One other interesting fact, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, of which there the, that specific branch, there's four of in the country, one of them being in Atlanta, was the Nuclear Regulatory Commission in Atlanta, where the alleged red mercury, the mythical doomsday chemical, allegedly got walked into the day the Atlanta Bridge collapsed, a story that was then forgotten that we never heard of again. And remember yesterday I told you that Bezos is grandfather his mother's father was a director of a regional atomic energy commission interesting it's all coming See, together yeah, now it's so nicely isn't it? but i have such funny things about biden and i have something about the post office and hashtag election crisis 2020 for the patron 15 and don't forget people today is a very special vip dpp but if you're not a vip or you don't go to dpp's disappearing patron parties which you can find out more about on patreon.com slash propaganda report at 6.30 p.m. Eastern tonight, we are, you'll it'll be two seconds after you listen to this, if you listen right away, you, we will be on uh, Facebook.com slash The Clint Powell, live streaming, taking questions, Binkley and me. See you there. See you tonight. See you Monday. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blaster weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform or the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to that extra content that we post every day, we post a DMB. Go to patreon.com slash propaganda report. Have a great weekend, and we will see you in the Patron 15.